Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Prepoint Pod. We are marching into March with Ellen Pataniti, otherwise known as Perth Dance Physio. Ellen offers some fabulous insights into the nitty gritty of strength training for dancers and shares her passion for the humble knee extension machine. This is a must listen for any dancer who is yet to dive into the gym. People like Ellen are out there to help. So go get them, but don't get them all at once. This is Ellen Pataniti and she is a physiotherapist from Perth, Australia. So working in private practice and also at the West Australian Ballet. And you've been at WAB for how long did you say? Four years now. Four years. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And then also working in private practice Mm -hmm. um, with firing professional dance, Mm -hmm. perhaps in Perth. Yep. And and you were saying before that that you're that you've been in Perth forever, Ellen. So tell us a little bit about where your dance journey started and where it took you. Yeah, so I um I grew up in Perth and my my sister was probably actually the one that got me into to dancing. She'd she'd started the year before me being older and according to mum I pretty much just spent that whole year with my nose just pushed up to the glass just absolutely mesmerized waiting to get in there. So then following year I started um and I actually then cried every single lesson basically so poor <laughs> mum. Um but she persevered and and it kind of just grew from there and um you know, every year I kind of just added more and more classes until it was all I was doing really. So worked my way through all RED and CSTD classical and theatrical exams and then also danced at school um, doing dance for my ATAR, which is our final exams um, for school here in, here in Perth. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much once I'd finished all my exams, uh, finished school, I continued dancing. So probably kept dancing into my mid-20s, just doing some open classes, was still doing classical ballet, contemporary jazz tap at the same studio that I'd been at forever. Um, and then also taught contemporary as well. So while I was studying at uni, um, I did some teaching and I I never thought I'd actually get into teaching as much as I as much as I did, but I think looking back now, the crossover um, of what that taught me for physio has been quite a lot. I think just that explaining things and teaching things um, and yeah, explaining things to either dancers or patients has been a a good skill from, from dance teaching. 
Um, and then, yeah, probably in my mid twenties is when I, when I stopped dancing. So mainly just work got hectic and, um, just time-wise probably took, took a toll with that. Um, and I think I, I still felt very connected to the dance world. I think when you're surrounded by it every single day within the clinic at the West Australian ballet, like, I think it didn't feel like I was walking away from it. Just thought almost, almost just like I was transitioning on stage to backstage. Like it didn't feel like a big a big deal necessarily um and I think also I just needed to try something else and it probably coincided with physio um to when I started dabbling a bit more in strength um work with my physio role so I kind of felt that I needed to try something different and, and do some strength and gym stuff myself um and dancing was all I'd really ever done like I'd never done any other conditioning stuff or sport mum made me do tennis when I was in primary school to try and improve my <laughs> so hand coordination my oh really yeah yeah it didn't she, really she was work. unsuccessful no yeah exactly <laughs> I think my tennis teacher had to tell me to stop tap dancing on the tennis court and go and have some dance lessons <laughs> yeah there you go our parents just trying to get us better at um at hand-eye coordination but anyway so she failed but apart from that, I'd never really done anything other than dancing. So it was, it was an interesting change when I stopped dancing to start some gym stuff. And I just absolutely loved it. Um, and so, yeah, I probably haven't danced now in maybe four or five years. And I probably only just started maybe in the last few months, kind of missing it a little bit more and thinking that I might yeah. go back and do some classes, which is kind of like an interesting full circle thing to, to get to. Um, but yeah, so dance was a, it was a massive, massive part of my, of my kind of childhood and teenage years. And now I'm super lucky because I get to still keep that in my, in my career. Yeah. Look, and I have to agree with you there too. Like, even though I don't go to classes mm-hmm. super regularly and I have been through phases during my twenties yeah. where I did, you know, oh yeah, every week I'm going to ballet or every week I'm going to jazz and I do amateur theatre and stuff, but yes. you never really feel like you lose that connection because yes. you are around dance all day. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think my foot intrinsics are probably stronger now than they ever were when I was actually dancing. Because I'm demonstrating <laughs> it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> demonstrating exercises. I don't know whether you do much or whether you've done much um, Pilates, so reformer Pilates. So I guess that was the first, I guess, introduction to resistance work right. that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I had um, as a physio. But then, oh, and I tell a lie, I did sort of start to go to the gym and do some weight training when I finished dancing, but not yeah. real proper strength yeah. training, like heavy yeah. weight training yes. till just recently because it was yeah. part of my research. So I guess who kind of convinced you that it was a good idea? That's fair. <laughs> so my, um, my partner, Jack, who's also a physio actually, um, he was probably the biggest driver for it he'd he'd had a background in rugby and had always kind of dabbled in um gym stuff and 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 conditioning on the side so once we once we finished uni he just kind of took a deep dive into exercise and strength and conditioning um and he would basically sign up for a course and then I'd say yeah I'll come too so I basically almost just by osmosis just started listening to him talking about it and listening to podcasts and tagging along to every lecture and course that that he went to um so yeah kind of almost indirectly just picked it up from him in a sense so 
because of him, probably the first course that I did, which made a big difference for my thinking, um, I did the ASCA strength and conditioning coaching level one course, which probably really taught me how I should be prescribing exercises within the clinic. I think it's very easy early on in your physio career just to get caught up in that three sets of 10 kind of prescription for every exercise. Um, so that, that course gave me, gave me a lot of insight into, um, programming, but then also different ways, um, to exercise, different energy systems, things like that, but then also hugely just prescribing exercises within the clinic, which I think was, was a good take home message for me at the time, just given where I was, you know, very early on in my career. Also Merv Travers, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a, um, amazing physio researcher and strength and conditioning coach here in Perth. And I've basically been to every course and lecture um, that he's done and his approach to research, but also approach to, to training and teaching and empowering physios to lift, you know, in order to teach that to our patients, I think it's been a, a really big thing for me. And he's, he's taught me, he's taught me a lot. He's, um, he's great. So I think I just kind of picked it up from all these amazing people along the way and then realized, wait a second, I'm not doing any of this. So um, it's funny you talk about, you know, Pilates was probably your first introduction. For me, it was probably group fitness training. You know, like I started doing like an F45 style class where, you know, I still had music on. It was still a little bit almost like a dance class in that it's it's very structured and you get Les told Mills what to do. Classes. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like we've all been there, right? So yep. that was probably my first introduction of like, oh, I want to lift something heavier but I still want to do it to music in a coordinated fashion, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was probably my introduction. And then when I realised, actually, this is not strength training, there's 10 seconds between every set here, um, that made me probably transition into going, all right, let's go into the gym and actually lift heavy things. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and do it properly. So, um, and then I guess from there, once I started loving it, then it was that, that process of, okay, let's start encouraging patients and dancers to do it and that's probably one of my favorite parts of my job now I um go to the gym with this is within the clinic space I go to the, the gym with dancers I program for them I, I love writing programs um but also I just think de-threatening that environment I think for a lot of a lot of dancers male and female um who haven't been in that space it feels a little bit overwhelming and it feels like we don't know the etiquette or or how it kind of works so I I love that that part of my job and I just offer that as you know a random extra of but I'll go to the gym with you I'll yeah. write your program I'll show you the machines and then I just encourage them to walk past the treadmill and go to the lifting section you know so yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's been nice yeah I've, I've really loved that that process of being a dancer and and never really lifting anything and actually when I was thinking about this I probably actually didn't lift a weight until I went to uni like mm. I, I probably actually never lifted anything with intent until until we would have had like a strength and conditioning um, unit at uni, which was was pretty sparse anyway. So, um, mm. yeah, it's probably been a, an interesting journey over, I don't know, 10 years or so of never having lifted anything to now kind of, you know, as, as you said, doing some heavy strength training. It's funny because I think um... – I, I think it was probably when I had started, yeah, at uni as well, that I did join a gym and somebody showed me around. Yeah. But then I guess, yeah, never thought that it was important for me to lift heavy, heavy weights. 
And then now I'm really quite happy to show that to my patients. And I think it can be a bit intimidating. And also mm-hmm. having enough time and programming uh, strength training in mm-hmm. for dancers so that they have enough time to do it and a space that's safe and things mm-hmm. like that. Because yeah. to lift really heavy weights, you do need a proper setup. And I Absolutely. think that's one of the things that can be a huge barrier. Mm-hmm. Just going back a step, though, because yeah. I think we've sort of started talking about strength training really quickly, which is great. But thinking about um, the difference between, say, um, the, the different types of strength training, because I think that's really important for dancers to understand, and especially, you know, when you can just get on Google now and Google anything like mm-hmm. strength training program and you end yeah. up with this crazy hypertrophy program. Yeah. So the difference between an endurance program, strength, hypertrophy, mm-hmm. power, like yep. all of those different goals or objectives require different exercise prescriptions. So mm-hmm. you were talking before about the three sets of 10, which mm-hmm. in physiotherapy, we kind of train movement patterns, I guess, and mm-hmm. three sets of 10 by 10 second holds or something like that, you know, yeah. that we talk about for really small muscles, um, mm-hmm. you know, activating them, whatever that muscle might be like, Mm-hmm. deep deep abdominals transverse abdominus that's like yep. the classic one right <laughs> but then so going from that where do you move next do you even do you even go there do you even start there sometimes I just start straight away with functional movement yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um I think the the rep the rep and set conversation is an interesting interesting one because I think mm-hmm what we learned at uni has actually changed so, so much. And I, I learned a lot of this from, from Merv Travers, um, where originally we used to think of, of strength training as lower reps, higher weight, and that endurance training as higher reps, lower weight. The actual current knowledge now says that if you're training that traditional strength training, which is that lower reps, higher weight, you actually get improvements across all aspects anyway. So by training that strength protocol, you're pretty much getting improvements in not only strength, but power, endurance, and muscular growth as well. Whereas there's been studies to show if you train that endurance training, which was that higher um, rep, lower weight, you only get improvements in endurance. So I think this probably comes down to the, the myth of time a little bit as well, because I think um, for a lot of dancers, they think, okay, if I'm, if I'm doing really heavy weights for, for lower reps, I'm going to get huge. Therefore, I want to get that slow burn of endurance. But really, if you lift heavier for less reps, you're probably going to get a better outcome and you spend less time in the gym as well, right? So um, I think it's, it's a, a, another thing that I've heard from him actually is that a dancer or a person who has never trained resistance training or strength training before you can basically think of them as a new tube of toothpaste do you know what I mean if you if you squeeze anywhere you're going to get some some improvement so again coming down to time is is really this group of people can have a really immediate change you know with 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 not a huge investment so again time-wise you're you're this blank canvas where wherever you chuck paint it's gonna it's gonna make something pretty so um, yeah. I think that time one is an interesting one, but yeah, the reps and sets, it, 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 it is, it probably has changed a lot from, from what even I learned at uni, which was, you know, 10, 10 years ago, like just within yeah. that last decade, probably our understanding of, of endurance versus strength versus hypertrophy has probably changed a lot. 
so in terms of the time that dancers spend, I mean, some dancers will spend hours and hours and hours in the gym or in the Pilates room. Yeah. And they're the number of times that I've come up to a dancer who's on the elliptical trainer and yeah. there's no resistance on the elliptical trainer and they're just there like running on thin oh, air. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you actually aiming to achieve with that? Yes. You know, how about you try and push to a certain intensity for a small space of time, yeah. just like an Allegro exercise. Yeah. And I guess it's the same with um, with working in the gym too. Like mm-hmm. you can spend forever doing leg circles on a reformer, but, and you know, you're probably not going to get your legs higher if you're not standing up against gravity and pushing yep. some resistance in that mm-hmm. range. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess where would you start? And like, how young do you start with your dancers too? So I would say like age 14, 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. That's actually fine as long as it's age appropriate and it makes absolutely yeah and there's someone yep. to supervise. Yep. Um, you know, it's interesting that both you and I didn't really come across weightlifting or using mm-hmm. resistance until we were what 19, 20, yeah. 21, yep. maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, where do you start? Like, what's your your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I I, I think things have changed so much as well because when I think back to when I was dancing quite a bit. We never had conditioning classes like they do now. You know, most of my full-time and part-time dancers are doing conditioning almost every single day as part of their program. So I think almost they're from a younger age, probably introduced to it more than we certainly were. You know, they're already starting to, to do those conditioning programs. Um, so, so that kind of helps, you know, you know, if they're already in a full-time program and they're doing conditioning every day, it makes my job even a little bit easier just to put in, you know, it might be one or two exercises that they add in, in their conditioning section. Um, and I think also the equipment that studios have now is a lot better, right? Like if I think back to my studio, we didn't have any weights. We didn't have, we didn't even have fit balls, but there were no therabands around. There wasn't any of that. Like we An just An ankle weight to, maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone we went left behind. It wasn't, there wasn't conditioning. There wasn't strength really. So um, when I ask a lot of, of students, you know, what have you got at the studio? They've actually, a lot of them have got weights um, and you can, you can do a lot, right? Although we're talking about heavy resistance stuff, there's actually a lot of really good body weight exercises um, like, you know, a Copenhagen adductor or um, a, a foot elevated, elevated hamstring bridge. And there's actually a lot that you can do that are pretty hard exercises, right? But you, you, you can do them body weight. But I think um, a lot of schools have such good equipment these days. So even if I'm just putting in, you know, a single leg deadlift, but holding a dumbbell, it, it's, it's a nice transition for, for dancers. And it's still, you know, we can call it an arabesque exercise if you like, and, 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 it, and it seems a bit more dancey. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's easier to transition. And I think so much has changed. Um, but I certainly Some agree. teachers I, are probably... Yeah. Sorry, yeah, more no, open to, to mm. purchasing things, I think, like to actually buying, yeah, more open yeah. to buying. You know, they say, well, what do you think I need? Should I do this? Should I yeah. do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, think, yeah. No, 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 that's that's fine. And within the <laughs> clinic, I see a lot of the dance teachers as well. So it's kind of a nice, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all of these levels from a dance school of I kind of can talk to the teacher and say yeah this you know this is what we need or you know if they've got an injury they can kind of see that benefit so I think it has it has probably filtered down quite well compared to when we were younger of of yes starting doing conditioning stuff and then transferring into into heavier stuff um 
you know, once you're, once you're safe and competent to do so. Yeah. So if you were going to take a dancer through the gym, say that mm-hmm. you'd, they have a gym membership yep. outside their studio, where would you start? So what are some of the things that, that you really enjoy giving to dancers? Yeah. You mentioned like um, single leg RDL kind mm-hmm. of type exercises. I really yep. like those as well. Um, yep. Yeah, and like plyometric things mm-hmm. are also, and I love the yeah. Copenhagen adductor. It is a killer, but it's, yeah. it's surprising, but it's, yeah, yes. it's really good. So, yeah, yeah, tell us what, I mean, if you're okay with sharing, what are some of, course, of your favourites? Of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, it, it probably is based on goals a little bit, but um, probably my favourite exercises to give, um, I love a good single leg press. <laughs> Um, and I also think that the, a single leg knee extension is actually underrated as boring an exercise as it is. Um, it, it is underrated in, in so many aspects. So from a, from a machine point of view, uh, for lower leg, absolutely single leg, but I I do love the leg press and, and knee extension. Um, I think upper body is probably an area that does get neglected somewhat as well. So I think, um, exercises like a band assisted pull up or something like that. I think dancers feel, they automatically feel really strong doing that. Like I think mentally a pull up is, is a very empowering exercise. If that, if that kind of doesn't sound too crazy, but you feel like an absolute unit when you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? And even though the band's kind of springing you up half half the way, um, you feel strong. I, I always, I always find that dancers, they hate it, but they love that exercise for how it, how it makes them yeah. feel. And how useful is that for part of as well? You know, if you have to yes. support your own your own self against a partner pushing up into a into a big lift, like as soon as you try to kind of, or as soon as you paint, I guess, the functionality of mm-hmm. the exercise. And yeah. you were saying the single leg extension before, single mm-hmm. knee extension. Yeah. You know, um, I guess there is the whole dancers can't have bulky quads kind of, but I mean they do need to have strong patella tendons. Correct. So if you think, okay, like realistically, the amount of strength training you're trying to do, it's not going to be hypertrophy based mm-hmm. and it's, yeah. you're not going to be in the gym often enough really to yeah. have that kind of, and the amount of time Absolutely. you need that end of range knee mm-hmm. extension to have a straight leg line. Straight leg. So we're talking about straightening yeah. your knee the full yes. way. Yeah. Which <laughs> so is pretty crucial lots- for ballet, right? Oh, um. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let alone yeah. things. So I hear that myth. That's probably the first um, rebuttal, if you like, that I get when I say, let's do some gym stuff is I don't want to get quads like footy players. It's the biggest thing that I hear. Um, But as you said so perfectly, I think if dancers knew how hard it was to to build that, you know, how how many times a day, let alone a week, these, you know, bodybuilders, sportsmen, weightlifters are training, but also they're eating in a huge calorie surplus, um, combined with some genetics, plus or minus some pharmacological assistance. Um, you know, a lot of the time there's there's more to it. I don't think no one gets huge accidentally. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think for a lot of dancers, they say, but I don't want to get massive. And I say, don't worry. If you knew how how intent driven the, those people were to get that size, you wouldn't stress about, about that at all. But yes, I think knee extension is so, so important. Um, 
And probably at the ballet company, um, this year particularly, we've had a lot of knee injuries, more, more than I've probably ever seen at the ballet company before. And, you know, things kind of come in, in waves, don't they, depending on what season you're doing, what's the variation, et cetera, et cetera. And I think yeah, COVID, COVID probably has played a bit of a part <laughs> in that, right? So I don't yeah. think I've ever seen as many knee injuries, um, particularly in females, actually, you know. Um, but, yeah, we, we've seen a few this year. So um, and we've just this year actually at the ballet company really changed up our our gym situation whereas traditionally yeah even probably last year still we had cross trainers heaps of pilates staff you know therabands things like that which are which are all absolutely useful but this year thankfully we've gotten leg press knee extension full squat right like we've had a bit of a a change which i love and the dancers are absolutely loving it female dancers included they're just oh they always tell me I feel so strong Ellen and they just absolutely love it so it's been it's been really really nice to see that that transition yeah when I was conducting my research Mm -hmm. I I guess in terms of prescription I was looking at prescribing research um uh, resistance training for Mm -hmm. bone yep um and basically you have to uh, exercise for such a long time many many months to be mm-hmm. able to see a change and then to actually go and do a DEXA to see whether that's made any difference to bone yeah. but the dancers were doing their exercises before class and it was mm-hmm. like half an hour session but probably the total time they were lifting was about 20 minutes 15 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes and yeah. they were just really basic compound exercises so it was probably to get a bit boring um but you know they would they would cheer each other on yeah. and you know they would be squatting and deadlifting mm-hmm. um just twice a week um, and nothing nothing crazy in terms of weight. And I have to say, because it was in the middle of COVID, it probably did limit mm. their progression a bit too. Yeah. But they said it just makes everything feel easier. Like it makes mm. it easier for me to ha- hold my arms in second, yeah. Yeah. for me to hold my arms in fifth if you've been pushing 15 kilos above your head or something yeah. before you go into class. Of course it's going to feel easier. All of a easier. sudden, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, and yeah and it's sort of you know that that reflection was really interesting mm-hmm. and I think as they got sort of more used to what the strength training felt like they were better able to um work out how hard to push or how you know whether they needed an easier morning depending yes. on what was coming later in the day yeah. so how how do you work that with the professional dancer because obviously their workload is really um mm-hmm. sometimes really unpredictable like they yes. do have rehearsals called um, you know, the schedule can change, you know, yep. within a couple of days, you know, notice. And mm-hmm. I guess, um, you know, they're adults, so they're probably also used to lifting a little bit more. Um, yep. But how do you work with periodizing the strength training yeah. for your dancers? I think the the few that I can think of who kind of currently have injuries now who are who are doing or, you know, have, have a um, prescribed kind of exercise or strength block, Um, they're currently doing those probably three days a week, just because as I said, they're dealing with injuries and it's, and it's that recovery that, that is needed. So as you said, they're they're adults. So, so giving people, okay, you've got three times a week that you need to load this. Ideally we'd like a day in between if we can, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. So if you've got a heavier day, okay, let's have a lighter session today and push heavier tomorrow. So, so absolutely tailoring it around their daily load, but then absolutely coming into the season um, where we change into the theatre. It's a different floor. We don't have access to the gym space because we're not at the ballet centre. Late nights, you know, everything changes when you get into the theatre. So um, 
absolutely having that conversation of things have to, we, we need to maintain things, but things have to step a little bit back when you're super fatigued, you know, stress is high, flaws are different, all of those aspects kind of come into it. Um, and I think in my training, you know, if I think about it, I force myself every four weeks to have a deload week, regardless of how I feel or anything. So I basically build up for three and then my fourth week steps it back a week, basically, where I pretty much would lift maybe 80% um, of what I'd done on my peak week. Uh, and I find for me that allows really good progressive overload, i.e. I can lift heavier, but also from a recovery injury point of view, that four week kind of dip. And that's what we see a lot in, um, in, in research and across a lot of different field sports um, and probably just anecdotally uh, with ballet as well is, you know, it's that, it's that four week period coming back from a break or coming back after a, you know, a, yeah, a holiday period or an injury that, you know, that 28 days after, which is so often, um, you know, four weeks, you get that crash where everyone gets pretty sore, pretty exhausted and injuries often. often the physio room is full. <laughs> absolutely my list no is appointments available yeah. yeah 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 it's interesting isn't it and I think it's it is actually such a hard thing because mm-hmm. dancers do train ordinarily I guess if you're a full-time dancer or a professional dancer mm-hmm. you're looking at a base workload of like to be honest probably 25 hours a week mm-hmm. and then in a really full rehearsal week maybe 32 to 35 yeah. hours a week because um, in a professional company, not everyone gets called to every rehearsal. Yeah. And I guess in like a full-time ballet school, mm-hmm. everyone is called to every rehearsal, rehearsal because yeah. it's a class. Yeah. Yes. So that's a really high training load to mm-hmm. physically maintain like 365 days every year, like 52 yes. weeks of the year. Yes. And so you've got to have a holiday somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think then what happens in holidays is yes. that it just gets such a big drop off. Drop. Yeah. with load and you know I guess strength training can be kind of a way to push that intensity mm-hmm. but in a short space of time so you're not spending every day of your holidays pushing it that yeah, yeah. maximal level mm-hmm. but then coming back in after having that big holiday break mm-hmm. like it's probably really important then to periodize your supplementary training as well Absolutely. as the dance yeah. stuff you mentioned that some of the dancers that you're working with are currently mm-hmm injured Mm -hmm. but they're also doing strength training so I guess do you want to talk a little bit more about that because I find that that's a really a a time when a lot of dancers get really afraid to do Mm -hmm. things like yes they want to maintain turnout and they want to maintain flexibility Mm -hmm. but you give them some upper body weights to do and they're kind of a little bit but is but why am I doing this do you want to talk a little bit about what yeah, what you normally give a dancer, maybe with a lower limb injury, because that's yes. pretty common for ballet. Yeah. I like to I like to explain it to the dancer of this is your time. You know, you you've got X amount of time where you're recovering from whatever injury. Potentially, you can't dance for for a period of time. This is your time to work on all of the things that you've ever wanted to work on. You know, everyone has that correction that they always get, or you know that that part of them that doesn't feel as strong, or, or whatever it is. So utilize that time to focus on what on what you can basically so um I absolutely like to supplement everything else to say if they've got a knee injury well absolutely there's still so much stuff around the hip they can do so much stuff around the foot and ankle they can do hamstring stuff glute stuff so you're still loading the lower leg um but 
you know, you can kind of get around that, that area that is injured. But then I also think um, for so many of them, and this is certainly what we've seen with a few of the knee injuries that we've ended up having um, after COVID is that that quad of that knee injury side has just absolutely gone to, to nothing. So um, we've got a um, specialist physio that we work, we, we often work with here in Perth. Uh, his name's Miles Murphy um, and he's a, a tendon researcher. So we've ended up kind of consulting with him for a few of these knee injuries that kind of just were behaving a bit funnily. Um, and he does a lot of strength testing, which was awesome, awesome to see because it's sometimes nice having another set of eyes or another person saying, no, let's, let's push this, let's, let's strength test it, where a lot of dancers are probably a little bit nervous to really push to that level. So he's done a lot of strength testing with these, with these dancers and, and the discrepancies, whether that's because of pain or whether that's, you know, a muscle inhibition thing, the discrepancies on that side have been huge um, you know I'm talking 50% strength on on the affected side so that I think actually the dance is seeing hold on a second I can leg press you know 40 kilos oh sorry knee extend 40 kilos on one side and on my other side I'm at 18 and that you know it feels hard it's not that it feels sore it feels like I can't do it it's been such a driver and we've had such amazing effects with these dancers for buy-in of let's do more strength stuff because they've just seen, oh my gosh, you know, it's not pain that's limiting here. It's that I am, I, I, I unfortunately have deconditioned and weakened on that side. And then you think, no wonder it's sore, you know? Mm. So yeah, we've had actually a, a really uh, good buy-in, I think, for, for strength work, you know, in specific areas, e- even if they're injured, just because of, um, of almost showing them yeah. the, the changes that, are, that, that have happened. And imagine too, you know, if that's, you know, you need to land on that leg that's yeah. actually, you know, so much weaker than the other side. Mm-hmm. If you're landing a grand jeté and you're yeah. half as strong on one side, yeah. how is that actually helping your situation yes. either? That's the yeah. thing. Um, and how can you expect to get back to your 100% mm-hmm. if yeah. you're not at your 100%? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so interesting. So what sort of things do you use in clinic to measure this? So you're saying you measure, okay, 40, 18 kilos. Mm -hmm. Have you got um, handheld dynamometers? So like um, devices that you push in that give you like a a Newton force or something like that, that you go Um, with or. No, I've actually, we don't, we don't actually have any dynamometers within the, within the clinic. Um, We've got, I've got uh barbells and weights within the clinic and then we just have a reformer but this is where and I mean you've got to be able to trust the person and make sure they're safe to do this but um I do a lot of research send them off to the gym to basically do their own strength testing and because I'm doing it on machines a lot of the time it's completely safe to do so do you know what I mean so I'm I'm sending people off giving them parameters um of what I want them to measure and then they come back to me with numbers which um which has worked worked really well um you can't really go too wrong with knee extension <laughs> yeah yep I guess on the machines it is a lot easier yeah. like it's and it's a very controlled sort of yes. environment yeah. yeah yeah that's cool yeah. yeah nice and I think sometimes um you know we have the luxury of smartphones these days mm-hmm. too um you can just film one absolutely. side versus yep. the other side <laughs> absolutely and sometimes it's that like showing people oh yeah. that's what it looks like or yeah. you completely squatting on your right leg on one leg yeah. even trusting the other side yes. oh okay yeah. sometimes it's those sort of measures that yeah. kind of spark a, a realization and dancers are so visual so I think 
once you point it out to them in a mirror, (laughs) they see it. Mm. And then, as you said, you know, if you can't even body weight squat without shifting your weight away from that leg, how are you going to land a grand jeté when you have to land all of your body weight? Um, And we know um, Danika Hendry, who's a really good friend and and physio here, um, she's done some, her initial research was on landing forces um, with dancers. And, you know, we know a grand jeté can be five to seven times your body weight going through that single leg upon landing. So if you can't do a body weight squat and put 50% through that leg, you know, if we think about the loads and forces that are going through within a class, um, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Mm. Other times, I guess I could see that strength might change too, would be during growth spurts for mm. adolescent dancers. Yep. And I guess you and I see a lot of adolescent dancers mm-hmm. in clinic. So not just with an injury, but also with mm. a really massive growth spurt. Yeah. Yep. And it's really hard sometimes for teachers and parents to realize that that's mm-hmm. happened because they see the student multiple times a week or, yep. you know, every day. How do you prescribe around a growth mm-hmm. spurt? Do you make any recommendations around dance? training load as well or um like how do you how do you get a dancer stronger while they're growing and dancing a lot (laughs) (laughs) just a simple Um, question for you (laughs) that's that's fine um yeah I think education is probably the biggest thing because a lot and I mean we all grew once but we all forget so quickly of what that felt like do you know what I mean so I think for parents they don't and for dance teachers actually they it's, it's hard to, to sympathize because because we don't really remember what that what that felt like but growing is necessary but so hard on your body you know the the changes in in muscle length so I often also have young dancers come in saying I've lost all my flexibility you know within a really short space of time and they're kind of in freak out mode so I think education is probably the biggest one to say it's okay like it, it will get there I think the other thing apart from flexibility is coordination you know like you almost get a little bit unaware of where your limbs are in space if all of a sudden your your shin is you know three centimeters longer obviously on ideally on both sides um you know jumping you're going to hit the floor quicker you know there's a whole whole different coordination aspect to it as well and then I think within the clinic, I do also see, again, in, in active populations of kids, those kind of growing related injuries. So severs, we get um, where the Achilles inserts and then Osgood Schlatter's, um, which is around the, the knee patella tendon. So um, often they do have pain, but as you said, sometimes they're just coming in reporting that they just don't feel quite right. Um, so yeah, education is a big one to, to explain that this is a normal process and, and, and it will change and grow out of it. But absolutely, you have to be a bit nicer to your body in that time, right? I, I still absolutely encourage conditioning throughout it. But as you said, if, if things are a bit grumbly, especially if they are getting pain, then just taking a back seat a little bit um, is, is sometimes not a bad idea, right? Like recovery is everything. And if your body is, is getting sore and, and grumpy at you, then listening to it is, is clever. And I guess, you know, that is also hard when you when you're dancing and you you might be one of the best dancers at your mm-hmm. school and you're super committed to every mm-hmm. performance team. And, you know, I, I think it's hard to know what to prioritize sometimes. Mm-hmm. So selling, I guess, selling conditioning and mm-hmm. um, and things like that is really hard when you go, well, ha- yeah, but I'm already sore and I'm already yeah. committed to all of these performance groups and mm-hmm. exams and competitions. I think it's it can be a bit of a hard sell. Yes. I guess on that note, like any success stories in terms of, you know, people who have recognised, hang on, I need to take a little bit of a, a backseat, as you said, 
just slow down and work on my conditioning and then who've actually come out a lot stronger and achieved a whole lot more as a result of taking a bit of a back step from dance working on those more fundamental things like balance and strength and then building their dance back up yeah. to have like a real win I don't know yes. feel free yeah. to share yeah no, that's, that's a good question <laughs> Yeah, probably one particular dancer comes to mind and she unfortunately had probably almost two years of, of um, recurrent stress injuries within the same same foot. She had an absolutely unlucky slog um, with that where we got to the point where we were actually investigating, you know, other causes, um, mm. you know, other sinister causes of, of why, is, why is this happening? So she got a lot of medical input Um and she decided then to take some time off ballet, um, which was very, very hard because she was in basically the prime of, of, getting, into a, of getting into a company. Um, she was right at that 16, 17 kind of age, age group. She was a beautiful, beautiful dancer and a beautiful person. So she um, has taken pretty much this whole year off and she is the most diligent person that I've ever met in my life. Um, and she has done every single thing that that the physios and medical professionals have told her and she has definitely come out better off for it and even after all that kind of hardship she's still got a a real goal to to get back to dancing and yeah the improvements that that she's made have just been huge huge and has she started some dancing yet yes yeah (laughs) yeah so we unfortunately kept getting to a point where she'd just start any jumping load and then she, mm. she'd have another stressy. Um, and it was, oh, it was, it was hard for, for all of us. It was a, like, we were mm. all interested in, in, in her recovery. Um, yeah. but she has, she's, she's now jumping. She's doing some plyo stuff at the gym. Mm. Um, she's starting point stuff again. So she's doing, she's doing really great. And I think almost the mental, the mental stuff that was happening, there was so much pressure on her. Um, within the the school that she was in Um, and she was putting so much pressure on herself which I completely understand but as soon as she actually stepped back out of that environment everything changed and obviously there's still a physiological thing happening with her foot I'm not saying it was just just a mental thing but I think for her the pressure was just too much and it was actually getting unhealthy so um, Mm. she made that very very hard decision to step to step away for a bit and I wholeheartedly believe that she'll get back to dancing um, now that she is so much healthier stronger um, and probably more determined than ever so I think yeah yeah, I think having an injury can be a a a real blessing in disguise I know it's hard to see at the time but I think Mm. that's our biggest job is to teach people how much better they can get within that time and how they can utilize that time to their advantage yeah sometimes even just understanding your body a little bit better and yeah and you do get really invested in dance and it becomes mm-hmm. the everything your whole but world just, yeah yeah so just sort of taking it taking some time and yes. realizing that there is a world outside of dance yeah. that yeah is, you know it's revolving then it's there yes. and <laughs> yeah and also knowing when to push and when to pull back and I think yeah some dancers unfortunately have to learn that the hard way but as you said learning so much about your body and learning that sometimes things do give and you have to learn okay now is the time that I need to deload a little bit or I need to pull back from this situation rather than just grinding yourself into the ground which 
I think traditionally from a cultural perspective, we've always been taught. (laughs) Yeah, Um, absolutely. (laughs) If you could research anything, and I don't know Mm. if you have done some research, maybe that was part of your um, degree initially, some some physio degrees, you do a bit of research before Mm. you graduate. But if you could, if you have, do you have any questions you'd like to answer with research? Because I feel like you're you're thinking about a lot of stuff. It's <laughs> I'd, I'd, <laughs> love, I'd love to go back and, and do my master's um, yeah. at some point. I, th- I think I'm still building to that. I still, I still just have a little bit more to do career-wise before I want to step back um, mm. with, with that work. But I definitely would love to go back to uni um, and do my master's. I think I, I see a lot of bone stress injuries and I know that's um, an area of interest for you as mm. well. Um, I know there's um, a lot of, or there are a few screening tools out there for, for bone stress injury, but I think potentially looking at, and it's hard, but some kind of injury prevention measure or tool, almost like the FIFA 11, which um, they use in, in soccer players, um, where, yeah, potentially we, we, could, we could make or, or look at, you know, finding a valid, a, a valid injury prevention measure for bone stress, I think would be yeah. Really that sounds cool. Maybe we should talk in another another few years when you're ready yeah. to start that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's space I for it. I think it's hard, but yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. recruit some patients. I think yes. that sounds so cool. Yeah. yeah. And so what what are the goals for you in the next one to two years as a physio? Yeah. Where can we find you? What's happening? What's going yes. on in the life of um, Ellen? <laughs> so um, I'll definitely be staying at the ballet. So I'm there every single morning of the week. So I basically just split my time up between being there in the mornings um, before and during company class. And then I basically run off to the clinic um, in the afternoons, evenings, I'm actually kind of excitingly enough in the process of opening my own physio practice here in um, Perth, which will be centered around dance uh, physio. And hopefully that kind of kicks off in the next couple of months. And, and eventually I'd love probably over the next couple of years, love to build that to almost like a little bit of a, a multidisciplinary clinic or a little bit of a hub where um, we might have a dietitian or a psych, everyone that's kind of had a dance background or is interested in that world um, and have a, uh, have a space that, that is um, very accessible and, and tailored to dancers. So that's pretty much where um, my brain's been in the last kind of six months or so is just trying to build, build the business. Sounds great. It sounds amazing. And I'm guessing that you're going to have a knee extension machine in your clinic. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So dancers in Perth, you can look out for that one Um, or if you're visiting Perth for any reason. And so I guess we're going to finish our chat very shortly. It's been great. And I feel like I could talk to you all day because I feel like we encounter really similar, yeah, yeah, really similar clinical things uh, day to day. Mm -hmm. But You've danced on point, obviously, and I'd like to hear, obviously, this is the pre-point pod. I'd really like to hear about which point shoes you used to wear or if you still wear point shoes, Mm -hmm. um, what are your favourite point shoes and why? Mm. I, when I was dancing quite a lot and doing a lot of my major ballet exams, I wore Sanchez. Um, Mm -hmm. We're actually really limited here in Perth still for point shoes, which is a a real shame. Um, But you actually can't even get Sanchez anymore in Perth. So we... In Perth, we really literally have two to three brands that you can choose from. Um, so I wore Sanchez basically, yeah, my, my whole kind of, you know, ser- serious dancing time. Um, and I love them. I've got an actually fairly wide foot. So they actually just a shape wise fit me quite well. 
and then probably probably in my early 20s or yeah probably yeah probably 20 or so I changed to wearing Gaynor Mindens um and I loved them I never looked back I wish I had found Gaynors earlier actually I think um they were they're an an easy shoe you know what I mean especially when you're in your 20s I, I loved the the ease of them I didn't have to break them in they were ready to go it was just yeah it was nice at that time in my life to not have to spend you know all that time preparing your shoes to to wear the next day yeah true but it's interesting that you say that in your 20s it like again or became easier to dance in what were the differences like the key differences between you dancing um doing all your major exams mm-hmm. and things versus you dancing in your 20s and would you recommend the same thing for your patients now I mean yeah what, yeah no it's, yeah it's, it's interesting so so I do a lot of fittings for gainers mm. which is basically when I started wearing them um and I'm a physio well before I'm a gain or fitter I always say that um, <laughs> but I I love them but I, I wonder whether I was just stronger then I think I'd learned a lot in physio and I'd already started to implement some of those strength changes, adding foot intrinsics, which I'd never done growing up ever, um, where I probably was actually stronger than, even though I wasn't dancing as much, I probably had a stronger, stronger foot and better awareness. So I wonder whether, Mm. was it that I liked gainers more or was it that I was just, you know, more prepared for, for them? Yeah. I think it was just the the ease of them. I think once you can find a gainer that, that works for you, you know, they're, they're literally performance ready. There's no breaking in that happens. They're pre-arched. Like it's all of that, that ease that we love when you're a bit yeah. older. <laughs> yeah. So it was probably Especially- more the preparation stage for me that I just thought, oh, this is the easiest shoe ever. Why didn't I wear this earlier? Yeah, true. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you're probably not dancing on point for as many hours. Um, and yeah, you're skeletally mature. You've done mm-hmm. all of the hard yards. Yes, absolutely. Know, yeah. So it's hard to about- say, is it a better shoe for me or was I just better? <laughs> Yeah, or I mean, Ellen at fifteen versus Ellen at twenty-five. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love yeah, yeah. Because point, I guess, yeah. That it's a bit of an evolution that whole journey, really. Oh yes, I always call yeah. it my point shoe midlife crisis. <laughs> I wore Sanchez, but it really it took me a long time to find mm. the perfect shoe. I know some people get yeah. lucky and, and find it, but I I didn't have have such ease. Thank you so much for this chat. I feel like, yeah, again, we've we've covered so much. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the Pre-Point Pod. I'm looking forward to catching up with you again in the future, I'm yes. sure. Hopefully when we can travel, I'll, um, I'll pop over to Brizzy. Sounds good. I'll see you then. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Louise. Thank you. Bye. Have you ever Googled your own name? Prepare for a shock because your personal info, including addresses and phone numbers, is all out there. It's all harvested by data brokers and sold legally. Aura is a personal digital security service that scans the internet for your sensitive information and provides a full suite of privacy-enhancing tools. For a limited time, Aura is offering listeners a 14-day free trial at Aura.com safety. That's A-U-R-A dot safety to learn more and activate the 14-day trial period.